everybody. Welcome to the Yamcast. My name is Erica. And I am Chris. Yam actually stands for Young Adult Ministry. So the goal of this podcast is to talk about college and young adult ministry and how to effectively do that. Yeah. And the music in our episode is from our lovely friend Brian Nielsen and James DeWall. He just makes us sound so good. Judges this, Finally. this time. Yeah, it's about time, right? <laughs> so let, let's walk through the basic storyline, uh, at least the beginning of Judges. So Israel starts to actually settle in the land. This is sort of a continuation of the book of Joshua. So if you were to go back and read the book of Joshua, you'll notice that in the last couple of books, there are sort of three big generations. There's the generation that was rebellious that ultimately died in the desert. Moses was the last of those to pass away. Joshua was also a part of that generation, but he wasn't rebellious. And so he's the one that actually leads the people into the land and he begins the conquest. And that now we're moving into the third generation, the generation after Joshua, whose job it is to sort of clean up the mess that everybody else uh, started. All right. Another one of the interesting pieces of the storyline of Judges 1 is starting in verse 19. Let me just read that real quick. And the Lord is with Judah, and he took possession of the hill country, but he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. Now, one of the questions that naturally has to come in your mind is, wait, if God was with Judah, Mm -hmm. why in the world can they not wipe out iron? Just because the chariots are made of iron, that seems stupid. Why does it even matter? So, you know, just imagine it's the God of the universe. He created, you know, he spoke iron into existence. So just imagine Judah running into battle and, you know, you've got these Canaanites on their horses and their chariots and they're like whipping their, yah, like, let's yah, go, let's yah. Go. yeah, and all of a sudden God just speaks a word and the iron just melts and they're looking around and they're still, you know, they're holding the reins of the horses and whipping them and like, yeah, yeah, and they look around and. Why am I no, being drug on the ground? Yeah, they've got no chariots left. They're just totally freaking out and they're like, what happened to our chariots? So you might be thinking, wait, 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 God can destroy chariots of iron. So why does it seem like this is going on? There's some things to notice here. First off, them having iron chariots, this is so unique. It means the Iron Age has just started, and it started here before it started anywhere else in the whole wide world. Hmm. There's a question there that we need to kind of think through. And part of that is, uh, you know, we talked about spiritual beings a couple weeks ago. One of the Jewish threads that they believe in their theology, especially during the Second Temple period, is that the angelic beings who rebelled against God actually were teaching human beings things that they weren't supposed to know yet like ironworking. That was actually one of the things in the in the message. So when you read the iron chariots could not be defeated, there's a bigger battle going on there than just simply iron versus bronze age materials. There's something else completely going on here. The other thing to think about is if you go to, to Joshua 17 verses 16 through 18, what actually happens there in that passage, and it's probably describing this exact same thing. So you got to understand that the book of Judges here is sort of overlapping with Joshua in some ways. What happens in that passage is the Israelites freak out because they have iron chariots and they lose faith in God. Mm-hmm. So it says Yahweh was with them, which is great, but Yahweh's with them. But if they start losing faith in God, they're like, wait, they have iron chariots. And God's like, I'm, I'm God. And they're like, yeah, but they have iron chariots. But do you God. see like, what yeah. they got? <laughs> that's probably what's happening here. And so actually one of the commentaries on Judges, that's probably the best one is, is by Dan Block. And he actually makes the statement here. They probably lost faith in God based on this passage in Joshua 17. And so what actually happens is the reason why they can't defeat the iron chariots isn't because God's not capable. It's because the people lose their nerve when they see it. 
they've they've lost the belief in the yeah advanced technology makes them shaking their toes shaking their boots i mean which reminds me a lot of what jesus talks about like your faith has made you well like the fact that you believed is what actually caused you to be healed you know a lot of that so the fact that they're not being able to believe that god can do it is what is their downfall it's not that god can't do it and that kind of goes back to the lens thing that we talked about like yes you have to remember those things of like wait this is the god of the universe he can do anything so that must not be the problem here it must be something else yep all right, let's get back to verse seven. One more thing to just notice and think about here. Let me read this verse. <laughs> it's so weird. And Adani Bezek said, 70 kings with their thumbs and their big toes cut <laughs> off used to pick up scraps under my table. And as I've said, so God has repaid me. And they brought him to Jerusalem and he died there. And you, you start Judges 1 and you're like, what is happening here? This it gets is crazy so from the get-go. weird. So they attack this guy named Adani Bezek, which just means Lord of Bezek. And Bezek is the name of the town. So he, you know, I don't know that if it's his name as much as it's his title. You know what I'm okay, saying? Okay. Like he, he's, you know, this is the king of Freeport. That's where we live. You know, that's sort of the same idea. And actually, the city might even be the same size as Freeport, a little smaller. So just to give you an idea, like imagine someone walking around like, dude, I'm the king of Bezek. And you're like, okay, good for you. So they kill him, uh, but before they do so, before they kill him, which is what they're supposed to do in the first place, they were supposed to kill the king because they were supposed to wipe the whole land of all these Canaanite disgusting people. And if he's a king, generally that means that there's some other things attached to him, sometimes dealing with spiritual things, sometimes not. But they capture him, and what they do is they cut off his thumbs and they cut off his big toes. And you go, this is weird. Why are they doing that? And then you find out in verse 7, he says that he's had 70 kings that he's attacked and he cut off their big toes and cut off their thumbs. And so they're just returning the favor to him, which makes it difficult because really God is not a God of retribution. So this is stupid. Why are they doing this? And it shows you that Judah, while they're doing a lot of things right, probably aren't doing everything right. And the fact that he says 70 kings, the number 70 a lot of times has a connotation in the Bible, tying back to those table of nations things we talked about in Genesis chapter 11. So it's possible either here that he's saying, I have conquered this many kings and we're supposed to be going, oh, this is kind of like the Genesis, you know, table of nations mm-hmm. thing in Genesis 10. Or he's saying, this is a, this is a large amount of kings in the land and I've, I've taken them all over and I was cruel to them. Now God is repaying the cruelness to me. Uh, all that to say, we have no idea really what's going on here, except they take him to Jerusalem and then he dies. So one of the scholars that I, I read wondered, did he die because his thumbs and toes got cut off and they got, you know, they started getting infected and oh. it was just like, he died. And he's done. Or did they kill him like they were supposed to? Okay, so do you have any questions about Judges? Now that we've covered Judges 1. Um, I do have a few questions. Who wrote the book of Judges? No idea. Moving on. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so truthfully, Judges seems like a bunch of loose-knit stories. And I don't think a lot of us think about how the Bible was finally put together. Do you know what I'm saying? We, I think we think of it as someone sat down and sort of is consumed by the Holy Spirit and just, just like writing, almost like like a weird exorcism sort of thing. That's not, no, that's not at all how it went. 
there's stories being written and kept somewhere. And then eventually people edited those into their final form and put them all together. So you can imagine the book of Judges was probably a bunch of loose knit stories held together by people who knew that they were important, holding all of them together and then piecing them all together in the very, very end and making sure that they kind of fit a final thing. And you'll see this in Judges 1. There's some, I don't know, you might even say there are issues to deal with in the text. Like if people are reading Judges 1, they might be like, well, this doesn't make any sense. You start with Joshua dies in verse 1, and then there's this whole thing about all the tribes doing different things. And then in chapter 2, it starts with Joshua dying and you go, wait, he already died. Why is this happening again? Mm-hmm. So it's pretty clear that chapter one was compiled by people who said, this is the basic idea. Joshua dies. The next generation totally falls apart by not doing what they're supposed to do. By the way, chapter two, that generation fell apart in this specific way. And then that sort of opens up the can for the rest of the book of Judges. But there's a really good chance that some of these judges are happening at the exact same time of each other. They didn't even know about it. Oh, okay. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So who wrote it? We have no idea. There's no there's no one sitting here saying like, I'm David and I'm writing about the book of Judges. It's clearly a group of of either prophets or priests, someone who are some people who are thinking it's important to keep the story of Israel intact and they want to make sure that you know what happened after Joshua. But I think what's most important, and you're going to notice two phrases in the book of Judges as we dive into it. One is everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And the second one is everyone did what was right in their own eyes because there was no king in the land. Mm-hmm. And we've kind of talked about that, uh, you know, a little bit over the last few weeks. Part of what's happening here is I think that this was compiled and finally put together either right before David or right after David. And the idea was now that we have a king, this is what it was like when we didn't have a king. So and I'm not, I'm not removing from it the spiritual element. I'm not removing from it the fact that God inspired it. Please don't hear that. But what I'm saying is God inspired it. It, you know, it was written by this supernatural, beautiful thing of God allowing the story to be told. However, it's kind of a propaganda or puff piece to explain why the king is better than the way it used to be. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I think it's interesting that it still is compiled in here when it's such a ridiculous book, you know, like, I mean, we, we do often talk about how the Bible doesn't just have all the great stories. It has all the stories like good and bad. And I think that that's important that this is still in here, even though people will look at it and be like, well, where is God? Like, why is this here? Cause it just doesn't seem like it has a, a place, but it does. And I think, yes, it does kind of say like what it was like when they didn't have a King, but also just what happens when you begin to do things that are right only in your eyes. Totally. That's the big key. Another part of it is the Jerusalem issue because Jerusalem hasn't been conquered by David yet. The word for Jerusalem seems to be an ancient word. We're not totally sure on that. And the nation that's living there right now is, is the nation of Jebus. So it's called the land of Jebus and they're the Jebusites. The land of Jebus. Totally. Welcome to the land of Jebus. Welcome You'd be like, Are, do you mean Jesus? No, Jeebus. Sorry. I know this is totally Well, no, it's kind of a Homer Simpson. It's actually one of the jokes that they make because he goes to church and he hears Jeebus and he uses that to talk about Jesus for a long time. It's, <laughs> it's a great running gag that they have in The Simpsons. But all that to say, Jerusalem doesn't exist yet, so it's kind of impossible for them to conquer it. 
Second of all, they conquer it, but yet David's not going to conquer it for a couple hundred years. That's a little weird. So there's some textual issues in it that we just have to deal with. It doesn't mean that the text isn't good. It probably means that the individuals who are fi- doing the final edits on it wanted to make sure that you knew where they were talking about, and so they used the final names for it. And Jerusalem obviously was conquered multiple times just to become the city that it is uh, at the time of David and then ultimately the city that it is today. So the excavations that are being done in Jerusalem are right in the, the area that we're talking about right here. Or it's possible, some, some have said it's possible that uh, since there's multiple sort of cliffs on the edge of Jerusalem, one of the cities might have been attacked and then David came in and finished off the citadel on the south side. Okay, so like almost like sections of it. So there's lots of different ways to look at it. But all that to say, if you're reading Judges, there's going to be people who are probably going to say to you, well, there's some major issues with that. I don't think there's major issues with it. We'll go into some of these as we go through the book. But it's clearly compiled some, at some later date, and it's a bunch of loose stories that sort of help understand why it's important that we have a king. gets better every week so how are we going to get practical judges one is weird what are we going to do to get practical about it well i think the main thing that i see with judges one is are you going to be obedient right like are you going to do what you're being asked to do um they're being asked to clear out the land and then they don't fully clear out the land and then that's going to come back to wreak havoc on their lives and I think that's kind of the main thing. Like, what what is God asking you to clear out in your own life? And are you going to be obedient and actually do it? Are you going to let something linger around because it's not that bad? So you're just going to kind of make it, justify it a little bit, make it sound a little bit better than maybe it is. But really, it's not good for you. And if you don't clear it out, it could be the end. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff there. And it's not just if it... If you don't clear it out, it could be the end. It's it's going to wreak havoc on you as time goes on. Mm-hmm. And that's not even to say, if you're if you're reading Judges 1 closely, it's not saying that you have the power to clear it out yourself. Yeah, very true. You know what I'm saying? So if there's things in your life, like what one of the things we could apply from Judges 1 into our own understanding of, of God's way of working in us is there are things in our life that clearly need to be cleared out. We can't do it on our own, so we have to trust God to do it. So we just surrender to him over and over again and let him take over these areas of our life that are a total mess. And the Christians that I deal with that are most struggling with this, they've gone decades without getting rid of some of this stuff because they thought it wasn't that big of a deal. And then later on they find out, oh, it's a really huge deal. That doesn't mean they're not saved. That doesn't mean that they're not walking with Jesus in some way. They just There's some serious work that's got to get done. You know what I'm saying? Life could be different for them. And even like they've made it in some ways worse for themselves over these last few years. And it could have been potentially easier, but maybe something else would have been a struggle. But yeah, I, I think that is key. I think the over and over again is key. Cause I think when I was younger, I kind of thought I wasn't doing it right. Cause I was like, I'm giving it to him, but I still am struggling with it. And I was super annoyed with myself for that and uh, didn't understand. I'm giving it to you, God. Why do I still struggle with this? And came to realize that, no, it's a over and over again. And you constantly, like every time it comes back, you give it back. And every time it comes back, you give it back. Right. Instead of thinking that it's like a one and done. And then, up, oh, I'm good. I'm good. We got it. We got it going. 
So I think that was helpful. Yeah. I mean, you're saved once and for all. When you put your faith in Christ, you're saved. Absolutely. Good. But the actual process of changing and becoming more and more like Christ is is a long process. Think about Paul. I mean, Paul's one of the guys that we look at and go, he's legit. He totally walks with Mm -hmm. Jesus. And Paul says, three times I asked you to take this thorn from me, and it didn't go away. So clearly Paul is struggling with something that he's giving to God, but God even says, I'm not taking away from you because my strength is made perfect in your weakness. So even that, sometimes as Christians, we have to embrace the fact that some of the things that we're struggling with are actually causing us to be on our face before the Lord, you know? Yeah, that is true. The great theologian Andy Minio says, if I didn't hurt, I wouldn't pray. Well, and it's, I mean, it kind of goes back to your thing where you talked about how God says, I'm not actually going to drive them out. And I think that is part of that. I know part of it, you were talked about, it was the generational, that the next generation will have to do it. And it'll kind of keep them almost in some ways accountable. But I think also it is like if you're, yeah, if you're not struggling with something, I think you get into this false sense of security that's, that's not helpful either. So, Which I think is one of the other practical parts about Judges 1 is this idea Judah is known as being somewhat obedient to God. What are we going to be known for, right? Are you the type of person that's going to be known for almost obeying God to the fullest, or are you going to be known as the person who doesn't obey God at all? Are you going to be known as the people who get pretty far into the land, but then you see iron chariots and you freak out a little bit? You're like, I can't deal with it. Mm-hmm. I mean, that reminds me of the the parable where the father asked the son, like, oh, will you go and do this? And the one son says, I will, but he doesn't end up doing it. And the other one's like, nope, I'm not doing it. But then he does end up doing it. And just kind of that that idea. And I think the one that was the better was the second. And I remember, I feel like it was even you that had this conversation when you were preaching on this and you were like, the better of all of it would be, yes, I'm going to do it. And then I actually do it, you know, instead of yes, and then I'm not going to, or no, and then I decide to. It's the, I'm actually, yes, I will do it. And then actually following through and doing it. Right. Which is true in every relationship you have. Mm -hmm. Like if you had a a boyfriend or a significant other and you say, I'm going to do this and you don't do it, that doesn't go well for you. (laughs) If you say, no, I'm totally not going to do that. That doesn't go well for you. But then if you do it anyway, then they're like, well, you just did it because you knew I was mad. But if you say, I'm totally going to do that, and then you follow through the next day and actually do it, everyone's like, yay. That same principles apply to our relationship with God. Mm-hmm. But the difference is with God, there's endless grace. It's a beautiful thing that he gives us. But it'd probably be better for you if you just did what you're asked to do. Yeah. All right. Time for our next segment. The any ya 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 My word. Would you prefer any ya 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 no. I don't think don't I care. prefer any of those, but... She doesn't prefer any. Yeah, 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 yeah. Any, yeah, yeah, yeah. See what he did there? <laughs> yeah, I did see that. So, so who during, are we talking about today? Yeah, so during this time, what we usually like to do is to loosely type a Bible character that we have talked about in this episode, kind of looking at their decisions and their tendencies and loosely saying what, um, what types on the Enneagram they might relate to. Well, we talked about Caleb... This week, um, but it's really, we don't have enough to go on to really pinpoint where he would be. And he seems, at least from what we have, he seems to do a lot of things really correctly, which also is hard because a lot of times with Enneagram, it's easier to type when people don't do things right. So instead of doing, um, instead of typing our our Bible character this week, I just want to take some time to 
to talk about the, the point of Enneagram, and that's about becoming more self-aware, becoming a more self-aware human being. So the, the thing I wanted to focus on today was, was talking about power and this idea that you actually give other people the power to affect you, whether you realize you're doing it or not. When I was younger, I was always told by my mom, like, I'd be like, he's making me so mad, talking about my brother. And my mom would always say, no, he doesn't make you do anything. And I would get so frustrated with that comment. But it's so true. And I, and I now find myself saying it to my students at school because it's true. Nobody makes you do anything. You allow them to have that power to affect you in that negatively or positively. So, um, so coming to understand that I don't like how I'm feeling and starting to understand who maybe that is in relation to and then being able to kind of notice, oh, I'm giving them that power to, to yeah, affect me in a negative way. So you've become your mom. That's the moral of the story. That's what I'm hearing. Isn't that what they say is happens? She, is she a number seven or a five? <laughs> you don't even know. I feel like I, I love I love the point you just made, and I'm just going to jump in and make it kind of a ridiculous moment here. But I feel like Enneagram is similar to my Taco Bell value menu. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like I need a number two. I would love a number four, but I'll take a number nine. Is that kind of how it works? So you're you're just saying pick. you're saying like. That type sounds the best. I really should use that type, but Correct. I guess I'm going to have to have this type. Right. And ain't <laughs> nobody like the Mexican pizza. Do you like the Mexican pizza? She got real offended. I, Nachos Bar Grande is the way to go. There's oh, no doubt. Totally no oh, doubt. I, mean, I remember having this stint when I was younger of Mexican pizza being my go-to. So yeah. I do still have some nostalgia there. So When you were a child, you thought like a child. But not like <laughs> and you reason like a child. All right. So all that to say, Enneagram... So it's about being self-aware. It's about actually knowing who you are, becoming a healthy human being. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, all of that's what all of the personality tests are. They if really are about just becoming more self-aware. So this is really just another one of those to help you better understand who you are, what you do, and why you do it. But then not just to understand it, but to like progress so you're not doing those things and you're becoming healthier. Because that's one thing, too, is you can just be like, oh, that's great, I'm this. But if you're not actually trying to, to change some of those things, and not necessarily becoming a different type, but just becoming a healthier version of, of yourself. So, I mean, and I, I get a lot of girls that end up coming and talking to me that are hurt in many ways by different people. And and they they do come with this, it's... It's that like it's that other person focused. Well, they did this and they did this and that hurt me. And so I really um, and, it, and they're almost blaming that other person for making them feel that way. And so I yeah, I just want us to realize that we actually are in control of ourselves and we get to dictate how we react. We can never control someone else and what they're doing. We only can control how we react to it. So if you don't like how you are reacting to something, figure out why and don't let them have that power over you. Time for the yam spot. Mm -hmm. 
So if you're leading a college ministry or a young adult ministry and you're trying to figure out what to do, I think one huge piece of helpful advice is if you're starting it and it's not going exactly the way you'd like it to go, just keep swimming. Right? Pull a dory. Pull a dory. Just keep swimming, swimming. You got to keep going. It, even if it, you know, we when we started this thing, we had a, a big amount of people in the first couple of weeks and then we had a really, really low week and people really struggled with it and they were trying to figure out what to do. There's a couple of keys there. One is you love the people who are with you. You don't ask the questions, where is everybody tonight? That's super offensive to the people who are there. You just plug away and you do your thing and you love on them and you're there for them and you talk through what, the stuff you're going to talk through, try to interact with them, spend some time with them. And then what you'll be amazed is if you just keep going, just keep swimming along, eventually your group either dies and tells you that you're terrible at it. I've had that happen to me once. <laughs> or you keep going along and you find out that very next week everybody showed back up because that one night they just weren't able to be there. College students and young adults are incredibly incredibly fickle. And if they're not totally sold out to your group, they're not going to be there every week. And even if they are totally sold out to your group, they're going to go find other things to do on some of those nights. Right? Yeah. And they're going to go, oh, I don't know, Star Wars just came out. So we all went to go see that. So they're going to ditch you. And so instead of you taking it personally and freaking out, just keep swimming along, do your thing, and then trust that what you're doing is going to yield fruit eventually. And when you start to actually do that, you're going to find out, hey, we have a group. And it's great. Look what, look what God's doing with it. Yeah, we, we, yeah, very much saw this happen in the last few weeks. And we meet with our group every other week. So, yeah, if there's, if somebody misses a week, I mean, yeah, that's almost, you know, a month of, of missing. But we were kind of like, oh, we had three people this week. And then the next week, definitely we're wondering how many we were going to have. And then we were back to our normal numbers. So, um, I think a lot of times we put a little too much stock in numbers too, and stock like numbers don't always mean health or um, or lack of health. So numbers don't really mean anything. So just keep doing what you feel like you're supposed to be doing, and God will bless it in the way that He's supposed to. So yeah. So thanks so much for listening again to the Yamcast. We love you. We appreciate you doing what you're doing. Hopefully this is helpful to you and. It's definitely helpful to us. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Yamcast. You can check us out at yamcast.podbean.com or on any other podcasting apps like iTunes. We would love it if you'd leave us a review that is any number between four and a half and five stars. If you have any questions that you'd like us to answer here on the podcast, you can email us at yamcastpod at gmail.com. That is yamcastpod at gmail.com. If you'd like more information about us, you can check us out at parkhillschurch.com or on the App Store with the Park Hills Church app. We are also on Instagram, so give us a follow at the Yamcast. Yamcast.